0: Welcome to WOMA's podcast, in which this week's episode is COVID 19 Vaccine What We Need to Know. My name is Dr. Alia Khan, and I'm your moderator today. WOMA is the Western Occupational and Environmental Medicine Association and a component of ACOM. We have designed these WOMA podcasts to be a tool and a benefit for WOMA members to stay current on topics of interest to occupational and environmental medicine physicians. The WOMA Education Committee members involved in planning this session and today's speaker have no relevant financial relationships to disclose. We spent a better part of this year on our podcast discussing the ins and outs of the pandemic that has wreaked havoc globally and with the US surpassing more than 300,000 lives lost to this virus. The norm is masks, virtual school, drive by birthday parties and ritual hand sanitizing. The vaccine has finally made landfall in many states and administration of the vaccine has already begun to the first priority group. As occupational medicine physicians, we are and will be involved in various roles, such as overseeing vaccine administration and healthcare systems within corporations and patients in our clinics. And we'll be receiving a lot of questions on the efficacy and safety of the vaccine. I am pleased to have Dr. Wendy Tanasi here with me to discuss the COVID-19 vaccine. She has been busily preparing her healthcare system for the vaccine to start being administered on today's day of recording. Dr. Tanasi is a board certified in emergency medicine with training from Yale and Stanford. She is currently the chief of occupational health for the VA Palo Alto healthcare system and an associate professor at Stanford. She served on the VHA National Occupational Health Advisory Board for five years and is the lead consultant for tuberculosis and infectious disease management for the VA's 400,000 employees. She speaks extensively at national and international conferences, has published literature, and been the principal investigator for FDA trials on TB diagnostics. Welcome, Dr. Tanasi.
1: Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm honored to be here. And of course, WOMA is a group that's near and dear to my heart. So an absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, Can you start off by telling us what the FDA trial for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines tell us about efficacy and transmission, as well as the technology used to develop this vaccine?
1: Well, I I would be happy to give that to you in, um, in brief. Uh, first, I think that technology is uh, absolutely extraordinary, uh, the mRNA vaccines I think exceeded all of our expectations in um, their delivery and efficacy. So I think we'll start first uh, w- with the mechanism. The mRNA technology is uh, really quite fascinating and fantastic with the wrapping of this fragile mRNA into a lipid nanoparticle that mRNA can be carried into the cell cytoplasm attached to a ribosome and create um, the proteins for the spike protein that are then released and antibody is made against only that spike protein. So of course you, you probably all know this already that COVID itself is not a part of this, just the coding for the spike protein so that people can make antibody to the spike protein. Now why that is so fantastic if you can visualize it is that The antibodies will attack the coronavirus in two different places. So one, to prevent it from getting into the cell at all using these ACE2 receptors. And the second place is once the coronavirus is in an endosome, once it's managed to get itself inside a cell, it's in an endosome. And so there can be a second place that the antibody will attack there to prevent the uh, coronavirus from taking over the cellular matrix and creating more uh, of its clones in essence. So what does that say to us about the efficacy? Well, when we then see that the efficacy of this trial is um, 95% in prevention of symptomatic disease, I I can visually see those antibodies actually stopping the coronavirus from creating more of itself and disease in the person. So I wanna make clear here that there's two different things. One is that the efficacy of the trial, about 40,000 people was based on symptomatic disease. So they found that 95% decrease in symptomatic disease and therefore in serious side effects was their really phenomenal outcome but asymptomatic disease wasn't tested. So the trigger for testing during the trial was symptomatic disease. Intuitively, if you think about the mechanism, asymptomatic disease is probably much, much lower as well, but I need to make it clear that was not studied. So the official study results are that one cannot just go out and rip off their mask at this point. Um, even with vaccination, because we don't know for certain that infection was prevented. and therefore we don't know for certain that asymptomatic transmission cannot still occur. Medically, scientifically, I think in the, what will play out is that infection, even asymptomatic infection and transmission are being prevented. But the trial does not show that directly. What the shi- trial shows is just that symptomatic disease is decreased. We do know that there's presymptomatic transmission. The Taiwan studies early on uh, told us a lot about the potentially 40% of pre-symptomatic spread that occurs and the trial doesn't speak directly to that. So I hope that was clear.
0: Yeah, thank you for that explanation and just summarizing the technology and data. And that's a great point that you made about the transmission issue. So there are also a lot of questions from women who are pregnant and breastfeeding and the COVID-19 vaccine, whether that be Pfizer or Moderna, what should we be advising women in this subgroup? And my second part to that is what about other groups such as those with immunodeficiencies?
1: Well, thank you for that. Of course, um, our healthcare workforce is in the prime of their life. Um, uh, More than half generally are women. And of course, um, some of those will be pregnant and won't know it or will become pregnant during the trials or during the vaccine period. So actually in the Pfizer trial, 12 women did get pregnant during the study. So to try to address this from the beginning, there isn't safety data on the COVID vaccines in pregnancy women. There are some animal and developmental uh, studies that are in process. Actually, the Pfizer animal studies are done, but they're not published widely. There was released to the verbac about studies of the fetus uh, in their animal trials and no damage was detected. So that um, bodes well for the future of this vaccine should someone become pregnant. It is not a contraindication to get the vaccine and it is not recommended that people be tested for pregnancy before they get the vaccine. We will have some limit in our ability to um, get these answers quickly because the UK who started before us um, did exclude both pregnancy and lactation from their uh, early vaccine groups. So we won't be getting data from them. Currently in the US, again, it is not a contraindication. We have no reason to believe that this lipid nanoparticle, which is carrying this really uh, fragile mRNA that disintegrates quickly, would be able to cross the placenta. So we are including Uh, with, of course, the permission of the OBGYN community and people's primary care doctors, um, women of childbearing age in all of our um, vaccination efforts at this time. Lactation, similarly, uh, shouldn't be a contraindication. Everyone is encouraged, of course, to always check with their private MD and for us to watch for ACOG guidance, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Thank you.
0: And what about advice for those with immunodeficiencies or, you know, immunosuppressive medications? What do you think about that?
1: You know, that's really an important group. So, of course, the people who are the most immune compromised are the most at risk for having serious complications from COVID infection. So it's strongly recommended uh, in all people who could suffer serious consequences, those with comorbidities and those who are immune compromised. We don't have a really known safety profile since those were a smaller cohort in each of the vaccine trials. Um, What I am concerned about on a theoretical level is uh, those persons who have Uh, autoimmune disease. So because COVID infection is quite immunogenic and the COVID vaccine is quite immunogenic, we know that um, the body's natural protection through its own immune system can actually get out of control and cause more damage in the setting of natural COVID infection. So what we don't know yet is if one has a severely reactive autoimmune disease, and we give this really highly immunogenic vaccine to them, could there be a theoretical concern, say, of a flare-up of of that autoimmune disease? I would caution at, at the beginning against that. That small subpopulation, mm-hmm. I think that we are going to be rolling out this vaccine quickly and data is going to be flooding in. So for the immune compromised, yes. For the autoimmune severe diseases per- that could suffer a flare-up, I might pre- caution against that in the mm-hmm. early days of the vaccine. And I'm sure there would
0: be a, definitely a challenge if you have, you know, a high-risk healthcare worker with an autoimmune
1: disorder. Um, and kind of counseling that person too. That's definitely a role for the primary care providers since the occupational health physicians don't aren't privy to most of the private medical information. Um, we definitely want to defer to the primary care providers who know that person's path along their disease and what their triggers have been to their complications. So that's an individualized decision I think mm-hmm, at
0: this mm-hmm. point. Okay, thank you. And, you know, as with many vaccines, the COVID-19 vaccine also comes with expected side effects. Um, And as occupational medicine providers, we surely will need to address and and differentiate between post-vaccine side effects and the symptoms of an active infection of COVID-19. How should we differentiate and manage those symptoms?
1: So this is a terrific question and I really appreciate it. It's been a great big topic of discussion with the ACIP and the CDC and various guidelines have come out in the last few days and more will come out soon. We know that there is a side effect profile with vaccination that is to be expected. And that side effect profile includes fatigue, headache, fever, and soreness at the site of injection or potentially generalized myalgia. That side effect profile can go on for a week, but really it's the first 48 to 72 hours where those symptoms are seen the most. So the first answer I would give you for the overall workforce population, when post-vaccination employees have the expected side effects, they can continue to work unless those side effects interfere with their ability to work. That is about 4% of people will get a fever over 38.5 and about 10% of people have reported these other side effects of fatigue and headache as interfering with their work post-vaccination people can be encouraged to take Tylenol or ibuprofen that is not encouraged pre-vaccination so the vast majority of your workforce is going to be able to continue to work the more nuanced question is really if people show up then at work with a fever or these other symptoms that look like covid how do we handle most of us have decided to do and i believe this is the new ACIP guidance as well is that those symptoms that are more pathognomonic, I wouldn't say they're actually pathognomonic, but they're more indicative of COVID infection itself, such as anosmia. And uh, additionally, there would be a sort of cough, shortness of breath, and diarrhea. Those are, those are common side effects of COVID infection and not side effects of vaccine. So when our workforce shows up after their vaccine and they have these uh, COVID-like symptoms, we will then go ahead and screen them and test them for COVID infection. And of course, the vaccine cannot cross-react with the test so there will not be false positives based on people getting previously vaccinated. I hope that's clear.
0: Yeah, that is really clear. And um, that's a great point you made about testing right after a vaccine and concerns of any false positives. I'm sure people were wondering that, too. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tanasi. The next few weeks to the next few months will surely tell us much more. And we hope that we can have you back after the first wave of people receive their second dose in January, as I'm sure we're going to continue to learn more. Dr. Tanasi will also be speaking on the COVID 19 vaccine at ACOM Symposium on January 23rd and 24th in 2021. So, on the behalf of the WOMA Education Committee, the WOMA Board of Directors, and myself, I want to sincerely thank our speaker, Dr. Wendy Tanasi, and also thank those of you who listened. You can check out our prior podcast on the WOMA website in our podcast channel. To always stay current on topics of interest in OEM, subscribe to our channel wherever you find your favorite podcast. Thank you.